Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. All right, gang, it is that time, your favorite Tuesday you've had all week, and it is 4 o'clock, and you know what that means. Time for the True Wealth Show. I'm your host, David Littlejohn, and this week, Katie is on the road. She is one of our satellite branches, probably on the freeway headed south right now, headed back to Roseburg. So she is not in studio. And uh, so you get me, and we're just going to have to get through this together, gang. We can do it, all right? And so I will make sure to... Uh, cover everything in such a way that, you know, Katie's always really good about making sure that if I say something that's goofy, she's like, uh, what? And so I will do my best to keep that in check. And we're going to cover some fun stuff today. First of all, a couple of announcements. And this is just a public service announcement. I've, I've been on the board at the local Greater Douglas United Way for years now. And there is a golf tournament coming up. So if you are looking for a way to still get out and enjoy, and we've had some fantastic weather. It's getting hot right now. But September 10th, hopefully it's cooled off a little bit. Ideal golf weather to go out and have a lot of fun at the United Way Golf Tournament. Keep in mind, this benefits local, right? So the, the United Way is all about what it, what it really is, is it's a, it's not football players planting trees. That's Heck, that's controversial these days, right? Because some people are pretty uh, cranky with the NFL. And United Way nationally has its whole different agenda, but locally, this is administered by our own people. It's a local board. The money that we raise stays in the community. And United Way is a way to uh, help donors to make donations to nonprofits that are making a difference in our community. Okay, And if you understand how expensive it is to fundraise, a lot of the time organizations try to put on their own fundraisers and they may spend, you know, let's say they spend $1,000 to raise $2,000. Well, they only net $1,000. It's a 50 cents on the dollar proposition to fundraise. Well, United Way can do this at scale and help other organizations raise money without having to spend all of that capital themselves. So it's way more efficient. And I know personally as a donor, I like to go through United Way because rather than trying to pick the winners and losers of all of the different organizations to do such great work in our nonprofit community, I can give to a whole bunch of member agencies through a single donation and know that I'm making an impact in the community across a broad spectrum of options there. So I think it's pretty cool. And the golf tournament is just fun. Right, it's just a fun way to get out there. It's a uh, captain's choice kind of event. You know, four-man teams is pretty standard for golf, but you get out there and uh, there's a bunch of tea sponsors and silly games and folks just horsing around. So it's not a serious one, uh, other than you know maybe still wear the collared shirt. It is at the country club, but beyond that. Um, it's just a fun event. So if you want to know more, check out the Greater Douglas United Way. You can go to their Facebook page or their web page, and they've got information. You can call and figure it out. But we'd love to have you join us out there. And, uh, yeah, I plan to be there as well. So there is the pitch. And then here is, now that we've gotten the pitch out of the way, now I get to be totally selfish. I am excited to share with everybody. Da-da! We have an historic event or is it a historic event? I always wonder, right? Is the H sort of soft? Well, look, his history, 10 years ago today was the day that Little John Financial became a reality. 
Uh, Ten years ago to the day, uh, August 31st, I severed a relationship with a, another firm in town and, was, and went out on my own. And then over the next few months, Little John Financial was formally created as an entity and became a real ongoing concern. And there's really a fun backstory to how long it's taken and the pathway for me personally to get here. But I don't want the show to be about that today. I just want to share how excited I am that 10 years, right? That's kind of cool. So we made it 10 years and now we're still here, right? And 20 years in the business now. I actually got started, it was late 1999. Now that's relevant. That's going to come up today on the show because 1999 was a very interesting year as the NASDAQ was going crazy. Tech stocks were going up and up and up. And you know what's really wild is right now, tech stocks are going up and up and up. So I want to spend a little time talking about the markets today. And today on the True Well Show, we're going to cover questions about the market. Okay, we got a bunch of them, but first we're going to start with what is going on? August, what a month. Uh, let's look at the three major indexes. The S&P 500, which is the 500 largest stocks in the United States or domestically uh, domiciled, as we say. So they are headquartered in the United States. And these are companies that... The, the way the index is composed. So there's 500. There's actually a little more than 500. There's like 506 companies. But... It's the supposed to be the 500 largest domestically based companies, and it is a cap weighted index. Okay, that's a fancy way of saying that it is the larger the company, the bigger a weighting it gets in the index. Okay, so as an example, about the top 10 companies are something close to 30% of the weight of the total S&P 500. So 590 stocks make up 70%. 10 stocks make up. 30%. Roughly, those numbers are not specifically accurate, but you, you illustrate the point, right? It's a cap-weighted index. And the really big companies do a lot of the heavy lifting for the performance of the index right now. So it's a good thing to understand how it works. But let's talk about where we have been. At the start of August, the S&P 500 was, it opened August 1st, I guess it was August 2nd, I think was the first trading day of the month. But uh, for, for the month of August, $3,288.26. It finished at $3,531. And then it was up a little bit more today. So uh, today it's at $3,526.65. But just for the month of August, you know how much it returned in one month? 6.45%. That's a lot of return there. So 6.45%. Uh, to give you an idea, historical returns for the S&P 500 for a year are somewhere between 9 and 12%, depending on when you're looking at the time frame and so forth. But you know, if you figure around 10 11% is the historical rate of return for the large cap index there, then 6.45% in one month, that's kicking some tail. But the story doesn't end there. There's more indexes. Okay, We have the Dow, right? the Dow Jones Industrial Average. 30 stocks and we're going to we're going to end the reporting there for August because they have changed some of the stocks. Three stocks, I don't have the list in front of me, but three stocks were kicked out of the Dow and three new ones were added in their place. But it's the 30 stocks they are the industry leaders for various sectors of and segments of the market. 
And this is a dollar-weighted index, which is just, it's not cap-weighted. It's based on the dollar price of each stock. So there's a formula for how those are counted as well. But uh, the 30 stocks all have a, a little bit more even weighting in them than you do the S&P 500. It's not so heavily biased to the top stocks in the Dow. So the Dow opens in August at 26,542 and 32 pennies. It finishes at $28,430.05. It's up 7.11% for the month of August. So again, really kicking some butt in August. Now, let's look at the NASDAQ. This is the tech-heavy index, right? So the NASDAQ is the one that's got a lot of the... Uh, the tech companies in it, it stands for the National Associated Securities Dealers Automated Quotation System, right? There's a mouthful for you. It opened in August at 10,848 and 64 pennies, closed at 11,775 and 46 pennies. That's 8.54% gain. So it is killing it, right? Over 8.5% in the, the month of August. But let me give you some really interesting context for these major indexes because the story is way more than just august right how have these stock or these indexes rather done for the year well it turns out the s&p 500 which is up 6.45 percent for the month of august for the whole year is up 7.88 percent yes you heard that right so wait a minute that's barely up at all yeah year to date if we started measuring in january 7.88 percent the Dow, which I think squeaked out after today, I'm looking, it looks like maybe today it crept up to like flat for the year, but the Dow was actually negative year to date at negative 0.73% as of close yesterday. And the NASDAQ, which had been up 8.54% for August, well, the year to date number is, believe it or not, 31.18% just an unbelievable year for the NASDAQ and the large cap tech that has really driven them. But here, you know, there's there's part of the story that I think is really wild that we should talk about is that we've had these great month-to-date numbers in August. We've had very broad disparity of returns for the year-to-date, you know, uh, slightly negative for the Dow, just under 8% for the S&P and over 31% for the NASDAQ. Here's the really interesting one, though. You know, COVID hit the markets really hard in March, right? As we got into February, March, and we started locking down the economy, the markets really backslid hard. So how hard and where have the markets recovered from there? We're going to talk about that and a couple of key stocks. But yeah, we got to grab our first break. So let's do that. And we'll stick around. When we come right back, I'm going to finish this thought on what the markets like, how the markets have rumbled back. And then we're going to talk about where are they going and what does it mean to you as an investor. That and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn, and you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN.
All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. This is your host, David Littlejohn, in studio today. We're flying solo, which means I got to keep the tempo high so everybody can stay dialed in. I'm going to remind you all that we do have this show on podcast. You can check it out at littlejohnfs.com. It'll be posted probably tomorrow. And if you want to listen to past shows, we're going to be dialed in there as well. We've got a bunch of information to share. Today, we are covering sort of where the markets have been, where we think they might be going. And I'm going to get to, I think, what a lot of you want to hear, which is some of the questions that I am hearing as a professional in the field of finance. And I'm getting a bunch of them. So we're going to cover some of those today. Like, you know, is it still a good idea to be investing right now? Uh, Where do we think the market's going? And do we think we're headed for a crash? I'm going to get to some of those But I want to finish a thought that we had before the break, just talking about what the markets have done this year. And it's been a wild ride. Uh, We talked about the major indexes, so the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and the NASDAQ as the three big indexes that a lot of people watch. And year to date, the S&P is up 7.88% as of yesterday, right? So at the end of August. And then the we, we've seen the Dow was actually slightly negative at negative 0.73. And these are according to the numbers that I pulled from Yahoo Finance. And then also the NASDAQ, which was up a just mind boggling to me, 31.18% year to date. And, and August was really strong, you know, anywhere from six and a half to eight and a half percent amongst those three indexes. Here's the crazy thing. We saw almost across the board for all the indexes at late March, but around March 23rd, we hit sort of the low point in the for the major indexes for a lot of stocks. And that was a few weeks after we started shutting down a lot of economic activity. And it was aggressive, right? It was you know time for kids to start leaving the classroom and going home. And uh, people were ordered to close a lot of uh, non-essential businesses. And we started getting things like the mask order. Well, the masks came a little bit later. But you know all the stuff that has been associated with COVID and all of the things that created disruption in the economy, in the supply chain, all those elements started to manifest. And the markets got out and really, one of the things about the stock markets is they are considered leading indicators, right? They are trying to price future value in today. And so they did not like what they saw and the markets began to drop. So keep in mind, the S&P opened the year at, I think, 3244 was the the open for the year. The lows got down to 2191. Yeah, really beat up, right? Uh, that was it was just for one day and it didn't stay there, but the very low watermark was 2191 and 86 pennies. So, it was a significant pullback. We were talking about 30 plus percent pullbacks for a lot of the indexes. Uh, the Dow had started at 26 or I'm sorry, 28638 and some pennies, it got down to 18,213 and change. And the NASDAQ started at 89,76, it was down to 66,31 and change. So these were way beat up. But the story is how much, if, if you could have timed it perfectly, 
right? Now, I'm going to tell you that this is not an investor's game here, and this will drive you bananas. If you really tried to do this, it'd drive you nuts because there's no way to perfectly time the market unless you just get perfectly lucky. All the statistics and data shows that you can't time the market, and nobody's ever successfully time and again done it. Maybe really small trades, things like that, and there are some traders that have managed to be successful, but there's far more that have lost money trading than are successful doing it. So the the odds are so stacked against your ability to time the market perfectly. But let's pretend that you could and that you were able to buy the very, very bottom for the S&P 500 or the Dow or the NASDAQ. Now, I will start with the lowest performing index from recovery so the lows for the Dow went down to $18,213.65. Since then, it is up as of the end of yesterday, right? The Because today's September 1st, so at the end of October 31, when the market's closed, the Dow had recovered from its lows 56.09%. Yes, 56% recovery off of those lows, okay? The... S&P has recovered 59.7% off of its lows. And the NASDAQ, which has just been breaking all kinds of records, has recovered off of its low point this year, 77.57%. So again, bananas, right? Crazy. Now, we're going to talk about where this market's at for a minute because because I have a microphone. And if you're listening, well, okay, I'm going to try not to scare you away. But this seems like it should be boring if you're not a numbers person, right? But stay with me for a second, because this to me is the story that's not being told. And remember, I told you how I'm all excited because the day is sort of the 10 year kickoff anniversary of where Little John Financial was formed. But that was in 2010. And my career started in late 1999 watching, and it was in the insurance industry before I transitioned into the financial services industry. But when I got started, 1999 was the lead up as Y2K was approaching. Now, some of you listeners may not remember that, but many of you do. Y2K was the year 2000. And this was back when monitors were really big and flat screen TVs weren't really a thing, right? And this was back when we had a lot of old computers at places like DMVs and government offices that were running code written for dates that were only two digits. It was the 1900s, not the 2000s. And so in 1988, they just used an 88 instead of a 1988 because it saved memory when writing computer code. But when 1999 came, they realized, wait a minute, when the year 2000 hits, the computer's going to think everything's 1900. And is that going to throw the code off and wreck everything? So there was this mad dash for companies to modernize their infrastructure. And everybody went out and bought new computers and went through this massive upgrade cycle in order to try to armor their businesses and their systems against Y2K. There, there were literally people that were prepping for the end of the world, as if the, the ball would drop on New Year's Eve and all of a sudden there'd be a global blackout as all power stations in the world, their computer systems failed, and all of a sudden we were in the dark ages. Well, of course, the ball dropped and we were not in the dark ages. Everything lit up the next day and it was kind of a poof, a whole bunch of nothing. 
But now we had every company just about on the planet had refreshed all of their technology. And they basically took about a two-year break before they refreshed technology again. And the economy sort of imploded at that point. Also, all of the dot-coms that had been fueled by the madness of 1999 going into 2000 found themselves sort of without funding. And as the economy turned and started heading south, then the NASDAQ fell something like 80-plus percent. Tech got wiped out. So why am I telling you this story? Because, as they say, history may not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And I want to just relay that when I start to hear people say things like, this time it's different, or you just don't understand, or people don't get it, or my favorite is when you know Warren Buffett has become an idiot, then I start to think, hmm, when have I heard this before? Because in 1999, Warren Buffett was not buying every tech stock headed to the moon. So I want to talk about four stocks for a minute. Now, let me preface this. I am not making recommendations that you purchase any of these, nor am I saying that you should sell them if you own them. So this is not a recommendation. This is just a review. Okay? We're going to talk about four stocks, Apple, Amazon, Tesla, and Zoom. Okay. Apple, most of you know, is the manufacturer of the iPhone and a whole bunch of other iDevices, iTunes, it's, uh, you know, the earbuds and, you know, the whole hoopla. There's a whole ecosystem around Apple. And if you use Apple products and you're embedded in that ecosystem, there's a good chance you're a fan of Apple. And if you don't use Apple products, there's a chance that you're not a fan. And so it's kind of polarizing. But nevertheless, Apple is a really interesting stock. And I want to talk about Apple first because this year, Year-to-date, as of yesterday's market close, Apple is up 74% for the year. That's even after the big dip in everything. Apple has the price-to-earnings ratio, right? So if you own a share of Apple stock, for every $40 you have invested, you make uh, roughly just over $40. But for every $40-ish that you have invested, you can expect Apple to earn about $1 of profits. Okay, Apple is a company that in total is valued at over $2 trillion. Now, next is Amazon. We all know Amazon has benefited from COVID because everybody's getting things delivered online. So Amazon has also exploded. This year, Amazon stock, now just make a bet with yourself here. Do you think Amazon is up more or less than Apple stock for the year? And if you answered that it is up more, you are correct. It's been up at just over 84% for the year so far as of yesterday. Now, here's the real tricky one. And if you're a regular listener, you should know the answer. But if you're tuning in today, what do you think? Here it is September 1st, 2020. What do you think the price-to-earnings ratio for Amazon is if Apple was just over 40? And the answer is Amazon is currently 134 for their price-to-earnings ratio. Now, are Apple and Amazon the same company? Certainly they are not. Do they play in different markets and do they have similarities but also differences? Absolutely. So PE ratios are not applicable across the board. You can't just say, well, the PE of one company should you know, be relevant and comparative to another because they could be in different industries. And so one industry may typically have a higher multiple, meaning a higher price to earnings ratio than another industry. So they're not apples to apples here, haha, <laughs> using apples as our comparison base. But you still get the idea that Amazon at 
134, almost 135 PE, and Apple at 40, you know, Amazon's more than three times higher for the price to earnings ratio, just as a pure ratio. But in, and on raw numbers, you know, it's almost 100 points higher. So let's look at Tesla. Tesla has been an absolute darling this year. If you bought Tesla, they recently split the stock price. Last time we spoke on the radio, the stock price was about twenty five, almost $2,500 a share. Well, they split, and so now I believe it was a five-to-one split. So if you owned one share of Tesla, now you own five. So I'm going to give you the prices as if everything had already been split, which means at the beginning of the year, your split-adjusted value for Tesla started the year at $84.90. Okay, so $85 stock. Today, it closed... Well, yesterday it closed at $498 and some change. It's up 400 and almost 487%. That would be a heck of a return. Imagine if you put $100 in, you'd have almost $500 worth of value now. But the PE ratio is what blows me away. And this is where 1999 seems relevant. Okay. When PE ratios start going to the moon, you start to think as an investor, what am I paying for and how much risk am I taking and how much do their future earnings have to grow in order for them to really be valued this way? So right now, Tesla has a price to earnings ratio of 1,230 and some change, right? 1,230, over 1,000, over 1,200. That is super, super high by almost any measure of any business ever. Now, if you want to say to me, well, I think the Tesla's earnings are going to go up 10 times what they are today, then I would say that's great. You know, Tesla's currently, their their gross revenue before expenses is like $24 billion. That's a big number. So if you add a zero to that, it's $240 billion, right? That means they're generating the same amount of money as Apple. But you made 10 times the revenue, so let's just divide the P.E. ratio by 10. Their P.E. ratio is still 123 at that point if they grow 10 times bigger, right? So that means that if, if Tesla grows 10 times bigger, the stock price can't change at all, and it still has a higher price-to-earnings multiple than Apple, which makes about $240 billion-ish um, a year. So... Jeez, Tesla. I mean, I don't know. And the other thing is the market value of Tesla is just over $400 billion. If Tesla gets 10 times bigger, that's a $4 trillion company. It just, I, I'm not telling you what to, how to, I'm just saying that the market looks awfully rich at these valuations. I can't make a call on it. Uh, I think we're into bigger fool territory, right? Which means that you can buy it, but you have to sell it to somebody that's the bigger fool. They have to pay more. Again, not making a recommendation. I really need to specify on, on this show that this isn't about recommendations. It's just about look at the numbers and realize that when you reach into trading land instead of investing land, that's what you're doing, right? You, uh, you're, it's going to be tough for you to make a case to me that Tesla can, can grow that much. Maybe it can and maybe I'm wrong, which is why this is not a recommendation. It's just my observation like, geez. So there's one more stock I want to talk about, okay? And this is the last one that we're going to really cover because you guys are going to get bored otherwise. But you've heard about it, and most of you, if you're in the working environment, you have been touched by this, right? This stock a year ago, you may not have known at all. But all of a sudden, it's everywhere, and you can't miss it. And that stock is Zoom, 
video services. So Zoom is a crazy story. If you thought Tesla was wild, listen to this. Zoom started at $68.80 this year. And as of today, not yesterday, but today when the stock split, then today Zoom spiked up another like 41% just today. It's up to $457.69. So it started at just under $69 today. It's just over $458, almost $459. Or I'm sorry, almost $458. And that's a 565 plus percent gain. You want to know what the PE ratio is for that? And remember, Apple's a 40, Amazon's 135, Tesla's 1,230 for their PE multiple. So that multiple is super high. The amount that you have to pay for that's really high. Zoom is 2,708. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just the multiples are, we're in 1999 land again. We're at a point where the future earnings have to be so high for these companies that it's really hard to view them as investments. They look like trading tools and they look really scary to me as an investor that personally likes to buy things on sale. It is really hard for me to see these as on sale. And it's hard for me to look 10 years into the future and see them growing into the kind of valuations that they're receiving today. Because I'm looking at this going, well, you're, you mean to tell me that for them to grow into this, their earnings have to increase by like, you know, a, thou a thousand more or more percent to, to, to grow into parity with some of their other peers out there. So maybe the world is crazy. Maybe I am. But you get the idea. So now that you've got this backdrop of numbers, we got to get serious, right? What do we do about this? We got an election coming down the pike. We've got some pretty significant decisions here. And my history has always been so sometime about Labor Day, everybody starts to get their head out of summer and shift back into the work zone. And then it's time to get serious between now until oh, Thanksgiving or holiday season anyway. So what are we going to do looking forward on this? Well, I've got some thoughts, but they tell me we got to take a break. So we'll do that. And when we come back, I want to talk to you as an investor. Okay. I'm going to talk a little bit about the markets and just what you need to be looking at as you evaluate the future. That and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn, and you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. I am your host, David Littlejohn, reminding you. You can check out the podcast if you are just joining us and want to get the goods that have already been done. Right? We already got them on, on tape. Do we call it tape anymore? On digital media of some kind. But anyway, check them out at littlejohnfs.com. They will be posted tomorrow under the Educate section. And there's all kinds of past podcasts you can look into as well. Uh, we're celebrating 10 years today since Little John Financial became went from gleam in the eye to like actually getting into real life and making it happen. So uh, it's, it's fun. We're revisiting some of the elements of times past. My uh, career started in really 1999 when the economy was booming and then busting in 2000. 
And so I've had an interesting career where I've had three significant market corrections. I had 2000 to 2002, and then we had the 2008 market crash. And then we've also tried on 2020, and we've had a few other hiccups along the way, but nothing too radical, strangely enough. Since 2008, the markets, had, the stock markets had really been on a long and fairly steady climb. It took a pandemic to create our first official bear market, which is a pullback from the peak value of more than 20%. And so the major indexes did in fact do that this year. And yet here we are, and all of the major indexes, and I believe even the Dow today, has flipped positive year to date. That does not mean that you as an investor are positive year to date. Because many of these major indexes are very heavily biased to large growth and technology stocks. In fact, interesting data point that I heard today, if you're in the S&P 500, as it is normally weighted, then you're positive year to date. In fact, you're up uh, almost 8%, uh, maybe a little more than that as of today. But if you are in an S&P index that is equal weighted, where it's instead of being cap weighted and giving the biggest companies more weighting than the small companies in the valuation, right? You give them all the same weighting. Everybody, it's sort of like a, a true democracy, right? Everybody gets the same weighting in the portfolio. Apple may be the biggest company, but it's not going to get a bigger weight than something else. It's going to get the same weighting and you would, I think, be down 4% year to date. So that tells you that not all is well in the markets. There have definitely been winners and losers, but the really big companies have been sort of eclipsing a lot of the other activity in the market, and they've done so well, they've sort of made up for the other laggards because they get a bigger piece of the real estate, if you will. So what do we need to look at moving forward as we look at this market, knowing things like uh, certain stocks have been priced super high, okay? And in knowing, for example, that the indexes are positive, but we still have unemployment claims at like a million dollars every reporting period. Or not million dollars, a million people. A million people are still making un new unemployment claims. So job losses are still continuing. And of course, the elephant in the room or also the donkey in the room, if you will. We got a presidential election coming up. So people are asking me some questions and I wanna just bang through some of these, right? Let's just cover some of these and get them out of the way. Uh, is it still a good time to invest? Okay, my answer is gonna be pretty standard on this one. It's always a good time to invest, but you do need to assess your risk tolerance and time horizon. Okay, if you have a 10 plus year time horizon, then this is probably just another blip in the radar of 10 years. Even if the markets have a correction, the probabilities historically have played out that the ship ultimately writes itself and moves forward. And that's because in many respects, inflation is built into the system and we're still a capitalist system. You know, if our entire currency fails, okay, well, all bets are off. But guess what? Your investments don't really matter anyway. Right? If your money is worthless, then I always tell people this is the guns and whiskey deal, right? You better have things that you can trade and things that you want because otherwise you don't have anything very fungible to use in the event that we've got to reestablish our currency or in the event that our entire government collapses and we're back to like the feudal system and knights and moats and horses and that kind of junk. So I think the probability of that's pretty low. 
I won't say it's mathematically zero, but I'll say it's low enough that it's not reasonable to make that a major consideration in your strategy. So should you invest? Yes, but be aware when might you need the money and make sure that you have enough liquidity available. This is the fancy way of saying, look, you need to have funds that aren't invested so that if you need money for an emergency, you don't have to go to your investments and cash them out if we go through another rough spot, which we very well could. Because this is the next question I get. Is the market going to crash? And here is the answer. This is a multi-part. Is it, you know, we got an election. Is it gonna crash before the election or after the election? Will it crash if Biden wins? Will it crash if Trump wins? And here's my answer. Will it crash? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's really going to crash, just so you know. I think we're going to see a lot more volatility. I think we could see the markets pull back. I think things are too expensive. And so crash is a funny term, right? Could it could it correct? I mean, could it pull back 20, 25%? I, it could, right? That's totally possible that people get nervous. They start selling in anticipation of major changes after the election. And so the markets get affected by it. So it really could happen. And it could happen quickly. Look at how quickly COVID changed the landscape of investing. Okay. Look at how it changed the way we interact socially. Look at our education system and how all those things have changed. So yes, things can change. Will they? I don't know. But here's some things to think about. Okay. First off, markets dislike uncertainty. Okay. When we don't have an understanding of what's coming down the pike and we can't handicap it, if you will. Okay. That's not a PC term. That's like a, you know, trying to set odds. Okay. That's a, so if the market can't set odds, it struggles. It doesn't like it. And when volatility is hard to measure, then people get more nervous. Options cost more. The price of things starts swinging more. It's just the nature of how big institutions interact with each other. So it becomes an issue. Here's another consideration. Where else can the money go? The Federal Reserve has forced interest rates super, super low. Are you going to go put the money in a bank? You're not getting paid much for it. Are you going to go buy a five-year CD? Maybe get paid 1% to hold your money for five years? Maybe more. I don't know. It depends. But it's not much because right now, 10-year treasuries, their yielding is something like under 0.7%. 30-year money, 30-year treasuries, under 2% like 1.4 or 1.3 last I checked, super, super low. So if you can't get a return in fixed income, then you're forced into taking more risk elsewhere, then where are you gonna go? Well, you're most likely to go to the areas that you view as safe and probably will go higher in the marketplace. So that's a lot of what's driving the stock market. It's called having a bid under the market. The question is, if the if the philosophy or the sentiment behind that changes and people no longer want to buy the stocks, you don't have a bid anymore. Now people want to sell and there's no buyers. When people want out and there's no buyers, the price begins to drop until it gets so cheap that the buyers come back and say, it's time to buy again because savvy buyers like to buy on sale, right? So I don't know if that is the case or not, but what I'm suggesting is it's possible that risk is mispriced in the market right now. Again, I'm not giving advice on this one. I'm telling you, look into this. Ask your advisor. If you don't have an advisor, call our office, 541-375-0898. We'll have the conversation. We'll help you vet through this stuff, okay? But the markets may have risk mispriced. And then the last one is, here's the thing. I'm going to share this one with you because 
I think that we've got uh, people really focused on the election. I think they're looking at the wrong part. I don't think it's actually the presidency that's the critical pathway. It certainly matters. But if you go out and look at, say, tax policy between the two presidents, they are very different. But, you know, it takes a cooperative Congress to get things to the president's desk for signature. And so I think you look at Congress to see how that changes. If you have continued gridlock in Congress, that's actually a form of certainty for the markets that the markets like. If we have major overhaul in the composition of Congress to one side or the other, that additional uncertainty can be what upsets the markets. So I think we need to keep an eye on Congress. Keep in mind that the House is currently democratically controlled by 53.4%. The Senate is currently Republican controlled by 53%. So it's interesting they balance each other right now. So anyway, that's the deal. Look, I'm looking at the clock here and I realize we've got our last break to take, so we're going to do this. I want to tell you it's worth sticking around. I've got two more things to cover for you as an investor. One of them is price of real estate right now. I think that's an important thing to consider. And then just the last thought is some simple math that you all should be able to know about that's important for how you decide whether or not to invest today. But we got to grab our last break. So let's do that and we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. You're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show and the final segment here. This is the home stretch. And remember, check out the podcast if you want to get some of the previous goods that we've been covering today. So just me flying solo today in studio, uh, sharing with you on the 10-year anniversary. Katie will be back, I'm sure, next week, and we've got more guests lined up. But uh, for today, here's the key. I'm talking to all of you as investors. We've talked uh, you know, from an education standpoint in the past. We've talked about all myriad of things. But today, really focused on what should we be thinking about as investors. And I wanted to cover one final thought, and it's about real estate today. And this is an interesting one because real estate can be an investment, but sometimes it's not an investment. Okay, And this is what I mean. I had a, a friend of mine that brought up a really good point today. Uh, so many people are saying, gosh, you know, should I you know, I need, I want to buy a house as my personal residence, but it seems like everything's too expensive. And here's what I would tell you. I think there are some relative elements here when it comes to your residence, because you're talking about a use asset. It's not as much of an investment as you need a place to live. So you could say, should I rent or should I buy? Okay, that's a question. But if they're close, the nice thing is you can store equity somewhere and there's some tax advantages to owning a home in most cases. So Here's the thing. If you're looking at today's current interest rates and you can qualify to borrow, they are extraordinarily low by historic values. So maybe you don't get the perfect lowest, lowest, lowest rate, but they're just doggone low right now. So what happens though is if people can buy, they can borrow more money because the interest rates are low, it does drive prices up. So think about the relationship between prices of homes the demand for homes, but also you know, low, low cost of financing increases demand. More people can borrow more. So that's part of what's driving prices so high. Now, as a person that needs a place to live, that may still be worth it. If it meets your cash flow and your needs as a homeowner, then it's not just an investment, it's a place to live, a utility use asset. But as an investor, the game is pretty tricky. It's 
much harder to find the diamonds in the rough where you can get them at an attractive price and then turn around and get them rented at what we will call a higher cap rating. That means that the amount of money that you will be re getting returned on your investment, so the, 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 the rental income compared to the cost of the rental, uh, the lower the cap rating, the more expensive the real estate tends to be relative to the income it can generate. So we're seeing relatively low cap ratings right now because of the nature of the market. It means that it's tough. Uh, I would suggest that real estate is always local. I think it's an important consideration for anybody's long-term financial plan because it's a potential passive income stream. So I love it. But at the same time, I will always tell you that you have to price risk and you need to know the markets. And so if you don't have a qualified pro in your life, find one, right? Don't just go out and do this willy-nilly because it's possible to make lousy investments in real estate. You know, back 30 years ago, people would tell me, buy real estate, you can't mess it up. Today, I don't know. We've got a very unusual interest rate environment. And if rates start to go up in the future to control inflation, that's going to change the borrower's ability to borrow. And that means it's going to change the demand curve and it's going to potentially change what real estate is worth. So again, not advising you one way or the other, but I am telling you, be aware of the moving parts because there's a bunch of them. So the future for real estate's a little murky. And of course, COVID changed things too. A lot of businesses are now working from home. And so the need for real estate looks different than it used to. Some industries can't shift. You know, you're not seeing restaurants move, go home, right? You're not seeing a lot of medical stuff go home, but you're seeing a lot of tech companies do work from home and a lot of service companies work from home. So the dynamic is changing. Be aware. Okay. And then the final thought I want to offer you is that oftentimes it's more expensive to climb out of a hole than to fall into one in the first place. The math is really simple. If you have a 50% gain and a 30% loss, you're only up 5%. A 50% gain, or I'm uh, sorry, a 40% gain and a 30% loss, you're actually underwater. So you can make two steps forward, but three steps back if you invest poorly. So be careful. And if you don't know how to do it yourself, get help. Little John Financial, 541-375-0898. We're out of time. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn, and you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.